Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, this is going to be our, uh, our final installment of the I Am series. And uh, a little bit heartbroken, I've been enjoying the study uh, myself. Um, but if, if this is your first time, we've been diving into the I Am statements of Jesus. And, and basically what that means is... Um, Anytime God was going to describe himself in both Old Testament and New Testament, one of the key phrases that he uses is I am. And it's uh, simply said, I am everything that you're not. I am the God of all creation. I am the first, the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha, the omega, and every other name in the alphabet. I am. And so we've been, we've been looking at just different aspects. He says, I am the, the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And, and today we're going to be looking at I am the vine. John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, open them up. If this is your first time or you don't have a Bible, the rest of the passages will be on the screen. But the reason why I do this in the beginning, because I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to grab one or we can, uh, we, we'd be happy to give you one so that you can kind of get used to opening it up on your own. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this. I am the true grapevine, Jesus is speaking, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I wanna speak to you today from the subject of I am the vine. Creative, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for Lord, the next several minutes that we share, we pray that you would uh, be glorified and that everything from my mouth would be from your heart. God, would you help us to understand the importance of being connected to the source. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for the Warriors winning tomorrow. Amen. 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 Well, I, I don't know if I have any fisher men or women in the house today. However... Um, some of you may have uh, taken a fishing trip out to the bay. Anybody ever been on a fishing trip out in the bay? Yeah, a couple of you guys, awesome. Have you guys ever been to a fishing trip out in the bay in a small little dinghy boat? No, didn't think so. Well, I did this last week, and that'll probably be the last time I do that. It's a little bit scary. Let me, let me show you a quick picture. My friend Dave and I, we went out on the bay and uh, we were going to shoot out by Alameda, but we ended up deciding to uh, launch out of the Berkeley Flats. And, uh, and so we thought, no big deal. We'll go out there. He has a flat bottom boat, a very small fishing boat, metal fishing boat. One of those guys with the little motor on the back, that one of those. And uh, as you can see, it's not, uh, it's not very large. And so we, we came out of the cove. And how many know when you're looking at the Golden Gate Bridge in this small little boat, it, it can get a little bit scary. And, uh, but, you know, we're brave men, and so we, you know, headed out to the, the sea. And I, I asked Dave, I said, hey, Dave, um, have you ever done this before? He's like, no, bro, I've never taken this boat out in the bay, right? 
Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. He said, you, you wanted an adventure, though. You said you wanted an adventure. I was like, yeah, but I didn't want to lose my life. And so, so we're headed out there, and right, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too choppy. So I thought, okay, uh, I think we're going to be okay. It was a little bit nerve-wracking that there were no other boats out there except yachts, right? And so, so we're, we're headed out to Alcatraz, and the other boats that are coming out of the harbor are like, and so I, I said, Dave, they got to be looking at us like we're crazy. And so we say it doesn't matter. It's the, the halibut's hot, so let's put the poles in the water. It wasn't, long, but it wasn't long after that that one of our poles got caught in the motor prop. Now, now if you don't know, uh, or the line, excuse me. Now, if you don't know what a motor prop is, it's the little thing that spins on the back of the engine. And one of our lines, my line, uh, got tagged, got, you know, never done it before, uh, got tied up in the prop. And so right away, it's like, this is a sign from God. We're not supposed to be out here, bro. And so Dave's holding my, my, my belt buckle, and I reach down, like, into the water, and we're bobbing. Like, it's, it's pretty intense. So we find out where the snag is, and we take the knife, and cut down into it as the boat comes up. We see the knot, cut it, and we felt like we just conquered the bay. We felt like, yeah, like we, we did it, and I looked at him, and he looked at me. He said, you want to go? You want to go home? No, no, we're not going home. Like, let's keep going, let's keep going. He said, you want to keep going? Let's keep going. So we, we, we go out a little bit further, and now it's getting a little bit more choppy. The boat dies. Dave's boat never dies. And so we're sitting there, and all the, we're just drifting, and big boats are going by, and, and you know, waves are, are, are getting a lot larger, and so on. And then your mind starts going places. Like, I saw that uh, a great white had recently breached out by Alcatraz. And so I'm like, a seal, our boat, we're pretty close. And so you just start thinking weird stuff like that. So finally he gets the boat started up, and you would think we learned our lesson. I said, Dave, man, I think this is a sign from God. He's like, you want to go back? I was like, you want to go back? We looked at each other. Nah, let's keep going. So went out a little bit further. Now we're almost like in between Treasure Island and, and, and probably about 75% of the way to, to, to Alcatraz. And, uh, and it dies again. And I'm like, and now the waves are like, they're a lot, the swells are like a lot larger. Like movie deep water type of stuff, Right. And so I looked at him like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I start repenting like we should have went back, and I'm sorry. And so Dave, being the, the, the guy that he is, he figures it out that the engine just needed some oil. So he filled up the engine. We looked at each other. I said, you want to go back? He said, you want to go back? We said, nah, let's keep going. And so finally, we, we, we're, we're out there. Now it's white caps. Anybody know what white caps is? It's like the white water on top of the wave. Anytime you have white water on top of a wave and you're in a boat like that, it's not good. And so... Anyways, the boat's water starts coming in the boat, and as water starts coming in the boat, I said, Dave, we're going back. <laughs> and uh, so, so we turned back around. We didn't catch a thing, but I did catch some understanding about fishing boats. And the understanding that I, I walked away with was that they're all about connections. They're all about connections. See, as this, as this, twine, as this uh, line was caught in the prop, all the signals were firing, but because of the tangle, it wasn't making the, the proper connection for it to spin, for us to go somewhere. And then I also realized that not only do some things need to be cut so that uh, the, the boat can connect, but also some things need to be filled. And as we poured oil in there and the boat started up and going again, and I, I started to realize that if, if the boat is not making connections, then it doesn't work. And, and I would propose to you that, that our heart is very similar 
to a boat engine that if it's not making the proper connections, it's not going to work properly. And the truth of the matter is none of us, I don't care if you're a follower of Jesus in this place today or if, man, you can't stand the name of God, you were drugged here by somebody. We can all agree on this one point that uh, no matter what it is, we do not like to be disconnected because we do not like for things not to work. Are you guys with me on that? Um, I, I was uh, driving, I drive past the airport, Livermore Airport, all the time, and I just always happen to be on an important phone call as I pass the airport, and this is a place where there's no signal. And so anybody ever uh, get disconnected, you're right in the middle of an important conversation, and your phone drops the call. That's not the issue for me. The issue is I have to call back three times and I get voicemail, right? It's like there, there's a disconnect that's like, gosh, like, I, we got disconnected, hang up the phone already so I can call you back. Is anybody feeling my pain? You're looking at me like I'm strange. All right. Um, or, or maybe, uh, or let me give you another, uh, another piece. I was driving and I was listening to, I do a lot of things when I'm driving, but it's all Bluetooth and all that stuff. And so we were driving and I was listening to a live stream uh, of a woman. She was preaching and, and she had built this case and she is at the crescendo getting ready to, you know, reveal her, her big point. And as soon as she's getting ready to do that, it disconnects. And I'm like, no, literally, I'm in my, my car like, are you serious? Like grabbing the phone, like looking at the window. And some of you guys are like, whoa, like I'm in counseling. It's okay. <laughs> but we just don't like to be disconnected because when things are disconnected, they don't work. Married couples, you understand this vividly. Ladies, clothes on the floor. For some reason, I'm sure on uh, multiple occasions, there seems to be a disconnect that clothes do not go on the floor. And when there's a disconnect, how many of you guys know it doesn't work? Now, maybe you're single in here today. All the singles, say hello, hello. If you're single in here today, and maybe there's a person of interest. Maybe you got a wink. All you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and maybe, just maybe, you know, you're out in coffee and, and, and guys, you're really trying to see if there's a connection and, and maybe she's on her phone the entire time. It's probably a sign. But this is, it's so frustrating because you're like, man, it's not gonna work because we're not making a connection. There has to be a connection for things to work. And so this is what I would propose. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. One of the things we can all agree on is this is that things will not work practically if not connected properly. As I was preparing for this message, I was getting ready to charge my dead iPhone. And actually, I did charge it. I put it right back in the sound booth. I plugged it in, went back an hour later. It still wasn't working practically. It's because I only plugged it in halfway, one prong. Isn't that, oh, like, how did I miss that? But if things aren't, bless you, if things aren't connected properly, they're not gonna work practically. And so Jesus comes onto the scene in John chapter 15, and he, he's really in his final hours. The cross is ahead. Um, so this is kind of this, this kind of a, still some of uh, his last words, if you would, some of the last conversations that he would have with his disciples. And he begins to reiterate this very point. He begins to talk to them, and he, he, it's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey guys, listen, everything that I've been telling you about who I am, the bread of life, the door, the good shepherd, right? The way, the truth, and the life. All these things that I've been declaring to you 
who, uh, uh, that everything that I've been telling you about who I am and, and the life that I've called you to, this abundant life that I've called you to, hey, guys, I really need you to lean in on this because all that stuff's not going to work practically if you're not connected properly. And so, so he speaks right into the midst of, of, of these final moments, and he, he declares with this illustration, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. He declares this beautiful truth, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. What? Like, what in the world does a vine have to do with God? Jesus is saying, I am God, and I am the true vine. Well, once again, Jesus is contrasting himself to, obviously, a false vine or false vines. How many of you guys know we can find ourselves connecting to false vines that don't produce any fruit? But to really understand this passage in its context, you have to travel back to the Old Testament. Because many times when a vine was mentioned in the Old Testament, it was uh, mentioned in regards to God's people the people of Israel. And unfortunately, it wasn't mentioned in a positive way. Many times when God was referring to Israel as the vine, he was talking about the vine that's not producing fruit. He was talking about the vine that should have been producing fruit, but they're producing wild grapes. Meaning this, God had given them a land that uh, uh, they really, I mean, that, that they didn't deserve, but God had blessed them. God had given them everything that they needed for life and for godliness, and their hearts began to disconnect from his. They started to find themselves falling into patterns of sin and, and worshiping false gods and idols. You would think after everything that God had done for them, they would, they would have been like, man, we just want to worship you. We want to stay here. We want to. But they began to disconnect from the heart of God. They started to worship idols. Some, uh, down the road, they, they ended up getting very religious and so, so it, was, it was almost like we're doing a lot of things for God while disconnected from the heart of God. And so it looks like fruit, but it's really not fruit. And so every time that God would mention the vine in regard to the people of Israel, it was always attached to wrath and judgment. Meaning God was saying, hey guys, it's not working practically because you're not connected properly. And so Jesus steps on the scene in this time where the religious system of their day was, was no different. And he says, hey, guys, listen, it doesn't have to be like this for you. It doesn't have to be fruitless. It doesn't have to be lifeless. That's not why I've came. That's not why I came. I am the true vine. And he steps right into the midst of their failed system. And he says, there's another way to connect. Matter of fact, this was always God's plan. This was always God's heart. And Jesus is saying, listen, no matter how hard you've tried, you have not been able to produce fruit that pleases God. And I am everything that you have not been able to become. But, but here's the beauty of this is Jesus is telling them this, that all the fruitlessness and all the fruit that you have been unable to produce, I am now making it possible. But it's not going to be based on how hard you try, but rather how well you're connected. And so, so as we're diving into the subject, some of you guys are thinking, man, that's great. What is fruit? Like, what in the world is fruit? What does that mean? Is it just like some, you know, religious things that we do? We go to church, we do, is it some things on the outside? No. Well, yes and no. See, fruit will manifest on the outside, but what Jesus was saying is, I want you to be so fruitful on the inside 
that you can't help but just to be spitting grapes. Are, are you with me on that? And so, but it still kind of begs the question, what does fruitfulness look like? Does, does a fruitful life look like a life free of pain and free of suffering? Does a fruitful life look like no difficulties, no trials, no, no, no moments of, of, of question or wonder? Absolutely not. And even though all of, all of us or many of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you could probably catch that, yeah, I, I know that life isn't perfect, but sometimes our expectations are that it should be, isn't it? So, so what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, Paul gives us a great description of what this fruit looks like in Galatians chapter 5. And I want you to go there with me, and, or you can make your way up to the screen, your eyes up to the screen. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, one of the mistakes that we make in Christendom today, notice how it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says, fruit of the Spirit. See, a lot of times what we like to do is we like to say, well, I don't have any of those other things, but I'm kind of nice. I'm patient like a, at least twice a year. And, and that's like stapling fruit to a tree. Because what Jesus is saying is these fruits aren't singular. He's saying if you're producing fruit, all of these are going to be manifested. Jesus is saying this is who I am. I am the true vine. And what, what the Lord longs to do is to produce this fruit in us. So as we grow in him, as we mature in him, as we are connected to him, Jesus said, this is what should be flowing out of your mouth. This is what should be flowing out of your heart. This is what should be flowing out of your life. Now, a lot of times we get this confused and we try to, you know, separate this fruit. But you can't, you can't do that because I tell you what. If you don't have no love, I guarantee you're struggling in your joy. And if you have no joy, I guarantee your peace is probably sparse. If you have no forbearance or patience, you definitely are going to be kind. Are you tracking with that? And so Jesus is saying, listen, as you're connected to me, these, this fruit should be evident. Hence, if there is no fruit you got to look at the connectivity. you got to look at the connection. And so here, Jesus is going to give us a, a great picture of, of what this connection looks like. Because if God is going to produce fruit in our life, if he is going to produce this type of fruit in our life, I don't know about you, but when I look at this fruit, I, I, I think to myself some of these things, and maybe you can think to yourself some of these things as well in this moment. Like, what would your marriage look like with this fruit? Like, how would this change your family dynamic if you just had a little bit more of this fruit? Like, what would your job be like? What would it be like if you found yourself in a moment of suffering, but this fruit was evident in your life? And so I, I know the, the, the kind of natural inclination said, okay, well, well, that's great. Yeah, I, I sure would love some of that fruit, but how do we get it? Like, like what do, how do we get this fruit? And this passage is loaded. We could probably do a four-week series just on this passage. But I picked one word that I want us to dive into because it's really the key that Jesus said. This is the key to bearing much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. Look at your neighbor and say much fruit. And this word that he uses is the word abide. Abide. 
Now the word abide is, is in the Greek, it's the word meno, which if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Meno simply means to make your home in. Now we talk a lot about this at Fountain Church because this is so important. Because if you're not connected properly, it's not gonna work practically. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to make your home in me. That's how deep, that's how intimate, that's how personal I want you to be connected. And so look what he says in John chapter 15, verse five. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I remember, um, I told this story a couple years back, but it, I, I remember uh, going to my friend Carlos's house. And when you walk into Carlos's house, I discovered for the very first time a formal living room. And a formal living room is where you step in and the room is, is extremely opulent. It was the first time I understood that plastic on couches was intentional. Uh, the carpets were white. There wasn't a smudge on the glass. All the books were in perfect array. And I just remember as a kid, we hated that room. Because we knew that we weren't supposed to be in there. And we knew that nobody ever even lived there. It was like a room that nobody lived in. And so the only thing we would do is we would step into the front door, we'd step into the room, and we would get through that formal living room as fast as we can so we could get to the real living room where we could sit on the couch, eat some food, do life together. And I think the trouble with us sometimes is that if we're not careful, we'll start to treat Christ like a formal living room where we just simply pass through on a Sunday, simply check that box because we, we read a couple of scriptures or got some knowledge underneath our belt, We'll find ourselves just uh, maybe saying that one last prayer before you hit the pillow at night, like, Lord, man, just thank you for this day. That's all you get, right? And, and we kind of pass through, and the feeling could be like this. Like some of you guys may be in here, man, I'm trying to get out. We got, we got 15, 20 more minutes. We're out of here because you can't wait to get on to the rest of your life. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I've never meant to, I was never meant to be a formal living room. Our relationship was never meant to be formal. It was meant to be very personal. He says, I, I want you to do life with me. I should be the person you are the most comfortable with. You should be the most comfortable in my house. You should be the most comfortable uh, connected uh, to, to, to other uh, followers of Jesus. Like this should, be, this should be so much like home that when you leave, out there feels a little bit, you know, like, man, I just love being at home with Jesus. Because he says, listen, if it's the other way around, that's not a fruitful life. You won't be able to produce fruit if you're making your home everywhere else except in me. And it's not going to work practically because you're not connected properly. And so, so it, it still kind of leaves this abide a little bit ambiguous, right? Like what does that even mean to make your home in? And Jesus gets a little bit more specific. He says in verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now abide in my love. Abide in my love. Now just muse on that for a moment. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Camp out in that place. Now I love my kids. But the Father's love for the Son makes my love look like wickedness. And Jesus is saying, it's not just kind of this abstract thing. No, I want you to abide specifically in my love. And I, I think, you know, this, this is one of the hardest things for, for followers of Jesus to, to dive into. Because I think when it comes to the acceptance of God, it's really hard to believe that that can't be earned. 
that God accepts us on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of what we have done. He accepts us on the basis of the cross, not on the basis uh, of what we do. And it's, it's really hard for us because we live in a culture where everything, acceptance is based on productivity, on, on producing something. And so it's a little bit counterintuitive when, when, when we feel or, or we say like, man, God, I know I'm really kind of messing up right now. I'm not doing too well, so I'm really not too sure or confident about your love for me. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, like God wants, to, God wants his love to be so clear. He wants you to be so intimate and deep in his love that you find yourself, it, you find yourself with the thought process of it's, it's less about doing and it's more about resting. That, that abiding in God's love is less about doing something, it's more about resting in something. And so Jesus is inviting us into that place because I tell you, when we are abiding in his love, we understand that God's righteousness to us is a gift. It really changes and transforms the inside of our heart. Because, because if, God, if his righteousness is a gift to you, then it's a gift that you freely receive. Now let me break this down. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I think grace provides a great acronym for it. It's, a, it's another way to say God's grace, which simply means gift righteousness at Christ's expense. Gift righteousness at Christ's expense. Righteousness simply means a right standing with God. Now, the more that we can receive this and the more that we can rest in this is the more fruit that we're gonna produce, or in other words, the more our heart is gonna change. You say, well, well what, I mean, what, what is so, why would our heart change so drastically? Because when you get a taste of God's love, you're not gonna want anything else. And God starts to do something, not simply in our behaviors, but he starts to change our very desires. Because in Christianity, um, believing right leads to behaving right. And so a lot of times we're so focused on the outside behavior, but if you can, get a, if you can rest and abide and receive his love, there's such a security there. There's such an amazement. You're, I mean, your mind will be blown. You're not going to want anything else. Anything else. So Jesus says, let me make it a little bit more simplified for you. Well, how do you abide in his love? And look what he says in John 15, 10. He said, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. Now, think about this. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Now, many of you are thinking, oh, here we go. Here's the list. Here's the list, pastor. If I do these things then God's gonna love me. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say that his love is a reward for your obedience. No, it says that if we obey his commands, his commands will help you remain in his love. Well, how is that possible? Because I'm gonna tell you this, I've never met a person in my life that said, man, I'm so bummed I listened to God. I shouldn't have listened to him. Now, I know there's been moments where it's like, oh, man, I listened to him and it's a little bit scary. But there's no way they would go back on, 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 on trusting him. I've never, I've never heard somebody say, I'm so disappointed for spending time with God. I'm so disappointed for, for, for obeying God. I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard countless number of people say the opposite. But because when you begin to obey God's commands, you start to get a taste of his goodness. 
that it works, that he's true, that he's faithful. You get to experience his love in such a way that, listen, your desires start to change in such a way that I don't have to persuade you not to sin anymore. You don't want it. Like, like you don't wake up and say, hey, I need a, an accountability partner. Um, I, I need some air. Just not sure if I'm gonna be able to, you know, get some air today, so I need somebody to hold me accountable to make sure that I breathe. No, like you just breathe because it's a natural inclination. It's a natural desire. And so as you begin to obey God's commands, it's not a burden. You start to experience his love for you, his care for you, his security for you in a way that you're like, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to remain. I want to abide. I want to stay in his love. It's awesome. But this can be a little bit sketchy. So I love uh, this quote from J.D. Greer. Look what he says. He says, Jesus' commands are like wires that connect us to the power of the gospel. They don't have power in themselves, but they connect us to the place from which the power flows. They don't create intimacy with God, but they make room for it. And so, so, so listen, so how, how, does this, how does this play out practically? Like, how do, we, how do we connect properly so that this stuff will work practically? Well, three commands we're going to look at very fast. And the first one, listen, these commands are going to help take you through your summer. Are you tracking with me? Everybody's kind of winding down, but this is time for you to ramp up. Let's not take a break from Jesus in the summertime, ladies and gentlemen, all right? Otherwise, your fall is going to be critical. So the first, thing, the first thing we need to do to connect properly, and this is going to be very simple, is we need to connect to Bible study and prayer. Now, some of you Christians are like, all right, all right, well, I, you know, I got that. You'd be surprised how many Christians don't read their Bibles. But, but you say, well, well, okay, so if I read my, if my Bible, I mean, what is that really going to do? Look what John chapter 5, verse 7 says. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is saying it's important that my word is in you. It's important that we're connecting relationally, intimately in prayer. And, and so what does that mean? Is God going to give me brownie points because I opened up my Bible? Is he going to love me more? Not a chance. There's nothing right now that can make God love you any more, and there's nothing you could do to make him love you any less. The cross screams, it's finished, you're loved, you're accepted by faith in Christ alone, period, right? That's, that's amazing. But, but, but here's the deal. As you begin to obey that command and you open up the scriptures and you begin to saturate your heart in the truth of God's love for you, you begin to see his beauty you begin to see his heart for you, his trustworthy character. All of a sudden, man, as you're embracing that, your heart begins to transform. And, and you get a taste and you get a glimpse that causes you to want to remain there, to want to abide there. You see, I think one of the greatest challenges for us is, is not um, just simply earning God's love. Some of us know we can't earn God's love, but I think one of the greatest challenges is living in constant awareness of God's love. I think because life is so busy, we lose sight so easily that God's love is present. And so daily time in God's word, daily time in prayer creates an environment for us, for God to fill us and connect the dots so that power source is released and unleashed in our life so we can, so we can go. And so that we can produce much fruit. I promise you, your abiding and connectivity to Christ will be, you, you will not produce fruit if you are not abiding in his word and prayer. Not because they are the source, but because they connect you to 
the source. The second one is this. We need to connect properly to community. We need to connect properly to community. Now, this is, this is a big one for us around here, especially today we're launching small groups. Hello. This is big. But why, why, why would he tell this? Look what Jesus says uh, in regards to this. Can you pull that up for me, Rue? He says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the command. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because as you begin to connect properly in community, you begin to experience Jesus, his love in a way that's so tangible. Like one of the, the greatest expressions of God love that I've ever experienced has been through the hands and feet of other people. The people that God has put in my life that have been a, a connectivity, have been a wire for me to connect to him in a very personal, intimate way. See, when we connect in community, we're really known. And, and we always tell people in Growth Track, you, if you're not fully known, then you don't know what it's like to be fully loved. It's, it's a place where, where you, you, you feel protected because you're surrounded by people that want God's very best for you. Like, it's nobody pointing the finger saying, hey, why don't you do that? And we got like 20 Holy Spirits running around small groups. No, it's like, hey, you're struggling or, 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 or you're doing well. Well, let us rejoice with you. And if you're struggling, let us walk with you. I mean, there's something so powerful about that. There's a support that comes with it. But not only a support, not only those things. Listen, you have, it gives you an outlet because people need to hear your story. It's not just about you being loved. It's about you loving others. And something happens as you begin to love others. You are reminded intrinsically of God's love for you. Even when they don't deserve it, it points you right back to the gospel and it keeps you rooted and grounded and remaining in his love. Let me, let me show you a, a quick picture of, of some geese. Anybody ever see geese flying in a V formation? And I don't know if you knew, these guys fly in a V formation because if they fly together in a V formation, they can fly 50% further because of the wind factor. They kind of create an aerodynamic for themselves. Now, many of you guys see there, there's normally more geese on one leg than the other leg. I don't know if you guys knew why that is. It's because there's more geese. It's just that, that's just the, that's, that's why it is like that. But, but one of the, the awesome things about geese is that they, they honk, right? They honk. And, and if, if one geese is following, if falling, kind of falling behind, the other geese will start, because they're trying to say, hey, man, like, pick up the speed. Like, we got you. Like, let's go. We got to fly. We got we to gotta go. Now, if a hunter shoots one down or if one takes a fall, they don't just leave them. Sorry, Timmy. You know what I mean? They actually, two of them will go down and they'll keep enough distance from the earth because they're like, oh, we don't want to get shot. We don't want to, you know, want to make sure what's going on here. And if, and if that bird can recover, they will hang around until that bird recovers. They'll wait for the next V and they'll fly up together and get back in formation. Isn't that powerful? Like two, two is so much better than one. If you are not connected to community, you are not fulfilling the command of Christ. And I know it's kind of hard. Well, I can follow Jesus on my own. Well, that's true. But if you remove a coal from the fire off to the side, give it a little bit of time and it will lose its flame and become less productive because that's not how God has designed us to be removed. Are you guys tracking with that? And so, so, um, so it's important. It's, it's important to connect properly to community. And the last one is this. We need to connect properly to generosity. I love what Jesus says here, and Cam, you could come up for me. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for, his, for, for one's friends. 
And so I just started to think about this, guys. I, I've been so grateful as I was preparing this message. I know it's really practical, but these are things that we just miss. Because there's some pruning in our life. There's some lines that have to be cut that untangle the prop so that there can be a connection for us to actually go somewhere. And these are the, the, the fundamental things that if they're not in place, it's gonna be hard to stay connected properly. And I thought about all the people that have gone before me. Because a lot of times we think laying down one's life for one's friends, it, it simply is, you know, uh, death. But I thought, man, this is probably one of the greatest passages on generosity. Because for us, we say, man, I'd lay my life down for you, but how about your time? I'm here today because somebody took time out of their day to spend with me, to pray with me, to walk with me. They laid down their life so that I could connect properly to the vine. Okay, maybe you, you won't lay down your life, but, but what about your talents? Like some of you guys are sitting on some incredible gifts. And listen, somebody's life could be saved by you stepping in by obedience to God's command and saying, God, I'm gonna be generous with what you've entrusted to me. And I may be scared, I may be afraid to step into that space, but I'm gonna do it because I'm gonna lay down my preferences that somebody else might get connected. We gotta connect to generosity. Uh, what about treasure? Like where, where, where are your resources? Some of you guys have, have great resources that can resource people to connect better to, to Jesus. But for whatever reason, it's like, oh, I'm really not sure. You say, well, what is how does generosity really connect us to the vine? Because listen, as you, begin to, as you begin to give of your time, of your talent, of your treasures, you begin to lay your life down for one, you cannot help but look at the good news and the gospel in the face and the love of God who was the most generous of all time laying down his life. Why? So that you and I could rest. So that you and I could be connected. He was disconnected so you and I could be connected. Because he knows that if we're not connected properly, it won't work practically. I have one more picture I want to show you. So some of you guys may know these as Clydesdale. There's another professional name for it. I don't know what it is. But, but these guys can, about one horse, one horse, they can, they can pull 8,000 pounds. And you would think two horses together that they could pull 16. But it's, it's actually two horses can pull 24. If they know each other, they can pull 36. The, the record of two horses that were intimately, intimately known by one another have pulled 50,000 pounds. There's a synergy that happens as you and I come together and say, listen, we are gonna be a, a church that's connected to the word of God and to prayer. We're gonna be a church that's connected in community and we're gonna be a church that's extraordinary generous. Like we don't, we don't uh, like have to give, we get to give, we love to give. Why? Because it reminds us of the generosity of God and each one of these things keep us rooted and grounded and abiding in him. And could you imagine if we all had the mindset, let's lay our life down, the weight we could pull, that Jesus would be glorified and that more people would be able to connect. So how does this play out at Fountain Church, Bible study and prayer? We'd love for you guys to get connected to the One Year Bible. One Year Bible. You can access it on our website. 
You can type in one your Bible, Google, jump on. I promise you, you can listen to it. It'll give you context. It'll help you understand your Bible, I promise. Uh, how does this play, how does a community play out? Well, obviously for us today, small groups. Get connected to a small group. Starts today. And lastly, generosity, dream team. Time, your talent, and your treasure. You say, well, Pastor Matt, is, is this, this is like, why are you doing, like, why this one year in small group and dream team? Listen, we've just decided to build the church that God has called us to build. He's building the church. We've just decided to align it with his commands. Because we know if we align it with his commands and we're faithful and obedient there, that we're gonna be able to experience his love. You're gonna be able to experience love. So it's not about building this church. It's about building the church. Now, you can do these things in a multiplicity of areas, but if you're not doing them here, it's probably gonna really be hard to do them out there because it starts at home. So I just wanna encourage you where you're at today. All of this is that you would fall more deeply in love with Jesus because it's in that place as we're abiding in his love that we will produce much fruit. It'll work practically when we're connected properly.